Just a quick heads up before we jump into this week's episode. Each week, I do this thing where I send out weekly support straight to your inbox with additional inspiration, tips, and tools that will help you to heal and overcome. And I promise I will never send you any junk. I will only show up in your inbox with things that will help you to experience lots more peace, joy, and freedom. And also, if you're on my email list, you'll be the first to be notified of any special projects that I'm working on, and you'll get some amazing deals on things like my online courses. If you're like, yes, please, just head to the link in the show notes to get free weekly support from me. It's multi-layered. It's like, yeah, uncertainty is hard, but the anxious attachment means that your sensitivity to uncertainty um, is really heightened. So the like the triggers that will then lead you to catastrophize um, in really, you know, extreme ways. Like it doesn't take much uncertainty um, for you to sort of take off into outer space with like, you know, meaning making and storytelling and this worst case scenario kind of thing. Welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. All right, today is such an exciting episode of a Healthy Push podcast. We are going to be diving into relationship anxiety and specifically anxious attachment. And I have Stephanie with me. Let's start. Welcome, Stephanie. I'm so glad that you're here. (laughs) Thank you so much, Shannon. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, so I would love for you to just start, give an intro to who you are and what you do. Mm. Yeah, so my name is Stephanie Rigg. I'm a relationship coach. I'm based in Sydney, Australia. You might be able to tell from my accent. Um, And I work mostly one-to-one with people um, on all things relationships, but uh, with a particular focus on anxious attachment and relationship anxiety and really helping people to unpack some of those things, shift some of those patterns um, and learn how to create, you know, secure, healthy relationships. I also have a couple of online courses, um, and that's sort of a, a burgeoning part of my business. So it's a bit of a combination of, um, yeah, my one-to-one practice and and online courses. So I love it. I stumbled upon your Instagram. I don't even know how, and I was like, oh my goodness, you what you share, your wisdom, your insight, I'm sure based off of some experience and just some knowledge, like you share amazing insights. And like, I have to, you know, put a personal plug in, which I typically always do. Um, I struggled with anxious attachment for years. And I was thinking going back, you know, if I had come across your Instagram, if I had seen some of the wisdom that you share, I would probably not have struggled for years. And Adam and I's relationship, who Adam is my current husband, definitely would not have been so challenging in the beginning. Yeah. Like I, I look back and I think the hardest part of relationship anxiety and specifically anxious attachment is oftentimes you don't even know what it is. You don't even know that you're struggling with it. So 
let's just start with that. Like what is anxious attachment? (laughs) Yeah, totally. And just before I go into that, I hear you and like full disclosure, I also, that's like very much my background and my blueprint. And so I often say to people like, if it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, it's because often I'm using like very personal examples and lived experience. Um, so I'm, I'm right there with you. And yeah, I think that it, I do get messages from people every day that are, um, exactly that. It's like, I have never known that there was a name for this thing that I've struggled with. And I've never felt so like seen and understood as when watching, you know, a 30 second reel, right. Which is pretty crazy that, it can be such a specific experience that so many people relate to and are so impacted by. And it can be a huge relief to be like, oh, I'm not crazy. Oh, I'm not alone. This is a real thing with a name and a solution. Yeah. Um, so anxious attachment, I mean, a super um, quick overview of what attachment theory is in case anyone's a total newbie to it. Um, attachment theory is basically a body of work that actually originated looking at infant caregiver attachment um, and sort of different ways that that attachment bond um, can take shape and then influence the way that, you know, a person develops um, strategies, I suppose, for getting their needs met would be a way to put it. Um, And it's sort of evolved since its emergence in the 1950s to now have a a really wide application and, and one of the main areas is in romantic relationships Um, so we've basically got these four attachment styles as, as they're known, um, and anxious attachment is, is one of them and one of the three insecure styles. So you've got secure attachment and the three insecure styles are anxious attachment, dismissive avoidant and fearful avoidant. So anxious attachment is characterized by very high intimacy needs. So really like the ideal scenario is like as much contact as possible, as much of the time with your partner, like spending a lot of time together. Um, the relationship will typically be like the most important thing in your life. You'll prioritize that above, you know, work and everything else. It's like always wanting to be in a relationship. So maybe not very comfortable um, being alone or if you're single, like really having a strong drive to, to get back into a relationship. Um, you know, some of the, the more challenging parts of it are like overthinking, um, overanalyzing, um, being really, you know, anxious around something being wrong. Um, so having a low tolerance for like uncertainty or ebbs and flows in the temperature of the relationship Um, You know, if there's like any sort of hiccup or your partner's in a bad mood, it's like this tendency to panic and catastrophize um, as if like, oh, no, you're going to leave me, Um, which sort of leads to one of the core wounds that underpins a lot of people with anxious attachment is this fear of abandonment, Um, fear of being alone, fear of being left, um, fear of rejection. Those tend to be pretty common themes. Um, And so those can drive this this real sense of like panic and distress um, at any sign of um, at any sign of trouble or conflict, um, any separation. Those things can be really triggering. So, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you can sort of only describe through 
you know, those like common traits and experiences rather than defining it. But hopefully that gives a bit of a feel and and can give people a, maybe a, yeah, that's me. Yeah, some of that sounds familiar. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, for sure. And a big part of it, definitely, I know speaking to my personal experience was the uncertainty and the fear mm-hmm. of abandonment and constantly convincing myself like that, you know, he was going to leave or that I was going to do something Mm -hmm. that was going to cause him to leave or that if he was Mm -hmm. upset that I was the cause. And, you Mm -hmm. know, like like literally just everything that you said, it's like, yep, Mm -hmm. check the box, check the box. So (laughs) I know another thing too, and, and I'd love for you to dive into this is back when I was struggling, I had no idea why I was struggling with this. And so what are some things that can cause you to struggle with anxious attachment? Yeah, so people generally fall into sort of a couple of buckets here. Like the, we can definitely like trace it back to some childhood origin stuff and a lot of people, for a lot of people that will resonate. Um, and the the typical like childhood origin story of anxious attachment is inconsistency is a really big theme. So if a, a caregiver was like fundamentally safe and the child had like a positive relationship with a caregiver, but that caregiver was not always available. Um, so the child really like depended on that caregiver and, and really like reached for them and, and wanted them and saw them as a source of emotional safety, but they weren't always there. And so the child becomes really like constantly like monitoring and trying to figure out like, what do I need to do in order for you to be there when I need you? Um, and so that inconsistency is a big piece. That can The inconsistency can show up in other ways. So it might be like one caregiver who's really emotionally safe and available and one who's very distant and aloof and, you know, absent. Um, so those sorts of things that like just, yeah, fundamentally not always being there when I need you. Um, and so as children and because children tend to personalize everything, right? Like in the most beautifully innocent way, children are very self-absorbed. It's like, if, if there's something wrong, it's, it's me, right? If my parents are fighting, if my parents are not there, like I've done something wrong and, and it's about me. Um, and that sort of can stay with anxiously attached people, that, that mentality. Um, but yeah, as children, because, their caregiver might not always be there when they need them. They do become very focused on the other, which is, you know, we trace that through and that becomes a real trope of anxious attachment in adulthood. It's like, I'm so focused on you and like your moods or your presence or absence and your needs and trying to preempt that so that I can get my needs met by being Mm -hmm. near you. Um, And like, just it really like that strategy of almost orbiting around someone else um, because we're trying to do whatever we can to keep them close um, and and be whatever we need to be in order to have them stay with us when we need them. Um, mm-hmm. So that can be a really common sort of origin story for anxious attachment in, in childhood. Um, the other piece for some people that won't resonate. And I think it's an important thing to understand about any attachment style and sort of attachment theory as body of work. Attachment styles aren't fixed, right? It's not like a personality trait per se, right? It's learned strategies and it is flexible 
um, and it's it's responsive to context and environments and relationships. So you might have had a relatively secure childhood and, and secure attachment during childhood, but then you might have had a really unhealthy relationship as a young adult or in your early 20s or something, and that relationship could have um, created anxious attachment style behaviors in you that might then shape your subsequent relationships. So there's no single, you know, cause or explanation, but those are sort of some of the ways that you might see it come up. Yeah, no, that's so good. Like, it's so helpful to know that because I think, like you mentioned with the childhood piece, you know, your childlike brain can't really understand if you have an inconsistent parent and why they might not be present and there when you need them to to be. And also the same, you know, with relationships when you're younger and having an unhealthy relationship where, you know, somebody might not treat you the best or they're also inconsistent with their emotions or their moods Mm -hmm. and it all is sort of like, you know, what can lead to you then struggling with anxious attachment. It's yeah. it's so helpful and just enlightening to be able to understand like what are some things that can contribute so that you have a better understanding of why you're struggling because it does, it gives you strategies to be able to work, then work through it. Um, so I know a big thing that pops up in my community and is like a theme when you struggle with an anxiety disorder is fear and uncertainty. And I Mm. think those are big drivers of um, anxious attachment. And so can you talk about how fear and uncertainty play such a big role in struggling with this? Yeah, I think that it it is absolutely like central to so many people's experience of relationships when they struggle with anxious attachment is this fear and uncertainty um and sort of fear of uncertainty right it's like mm-hmm. and uncertainty can take so many forms right it might be something as simple as like oh my partner's taking a while to respond to a text message like that creates uncertainty right yes. so it's sort of it's multi-layered. It's like, yeah, uncertainty is hard, but the anxious attachment means that your sensitivity to uncertainty um, is really heightened. So the like the triggers that will then lead you to catastrophize um, in really, you know, extreme ways. Like it doesn't take much uncertainty um, for you to sort of take off into outer space with like, you know, meaning making and storytelling and this worst case scenario kind of thing. So I think that, yeah, like things like, oh, my partner's taking a while to respond to a message or, you know, my partner's a bit quiet today, like that might be a source of uncertainty and that can create such a sense of distress um, and, you know, this tendency to fill in the blanks with like, oh, no, oh, no, worst case scenario, they're going to leave me, Um, something's wrong, they're cheating on me, like they're with all of these things, right? And Mm -hmm. it's just like objectively there's, absolutely nothing to suggest that any of those things are true. Um, But we can work ourselves up into such a state of distress and panic um, because as soon as there's that distance and we can go back to like looking at the origin story and the fear of abandonment, it's like distance or like feeling whether that's physical distance or emotional energetic distance if someone feels a bit, you know, just pulled away or withdrawn in some way that distance is so 
triggering and, uh, and distressing um, for someone with anxious attachment. It creates so much uncertainty. Uncertainty creates so much unsafety because it's like I'm about to be left, right? Something right. is terribly wrong. We're about to break up. You're about to leave me. Um, and so that's like that's really that's a really common struggle and can be quite debilitating, right? Because when you're anticipating that any time there's any tension or conflict or distance that it's spelling like the end of the relationship, the flow-on effects for the way that you show up are really profound and can often mean like you don't you don't raise things that are bothering you, you don't state boundaries, you don't ask for anything because you're just telling yourself that like I can't do that because they'll throw their hands up and say it's too hard, I'm out, like yeah. not worth it, right? And so it, it creates this like smallness in us and we just internalize all of this stuff, work ourselves up into this panic and also don't like don't share that and don't ask for support, um, don't allow ourselves to be supported or let someone into our emotional experience um, until it all blows up, which is another really common thing is that it's like internalize, 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 and then just like the the blow up, you know, anxiously attached people will often do that. They can have quite an explosive conflict style Um because, you know, there's so much stress going on there and, you know, conflicts that will often um, be about something really insignificant but find their way back to like, you know, a, a lack of reciprocity is sort of what sits at the heart of a lot of conflicts. Like you don't care about me the way I care about you. I would never do that to you, mm. um, like that kind of thing, right? Um, and it is. It's just so much stuff that we bury and then it blows up and, you know, the other piece there is that often if, if the partner is withdrawing, um, the anxiously attached person's last resort to connect is conflict and conflict as a source of connection feels safer than distance from their withdrawal. So it's like, I'll just start throwing hand grenades at you until you like, you know, fight back. And at least I feel connected to you because we're screaming at each other, right? Yeah. Like in a, in a strange way that feels safer than if you're just off on your own or you're just angry at me and not speaking to me. Like I'd, I'd much rather be connected to you through conflict. So it can have a lot of um, ripple effects that, that fear and that uncertainty and can create some pretty challenging dynamics. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I like just, just so much of this is so helpful. And I'm like sitting here, people of course can't see the video, but I'm like nodding my <laughs> nodding. head at every single thing that you say. And it's like, like a couple of things really stuck out to me. And one being, you know, objectively, like this person is not doing anything that would make them untrustworthy or that would make me have to question things or that I should be jumping to these horrible conclusions and thinking that they don't love me or that they're going to leave me. And like, too, when you struggle with an anxiety disorder and when I was struggling with anxious attachment, I was struggling with panic disorder and agoraphobia. So it was just like on top of all of that, I was struggling with what felt like this really ominous like huge beast that I didn't even understand like why it was happening like mm -hmm. why am I like jumping to these things when I know that you know Adam would never break my trust like he would never intentionally hurt me he would never mm -hmm. do these things and like you were saying about the conflict like 
I would very intentionally start conflict and it was mostly because I would hold so much in and then I would just blow up, but it did. It felt safer to me to have the conflict. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the saving graces of our relationship at that time was like Adam was, you know, very, very patient. And he often like just allowed me to do what it was that I was doing and, and Mm. be still and be quiet. And, and he would say, okay, like, are you ready to talk now? (laughs) And, and, and thank goodness, you know, he had the approach that he did because I honestly Mm. don't think that our relationship would have survived. And I look back and I'm like, I did this to this poor man for years. Like, (laughs) and, and you, it's almost like you can't help it because you don't even understand what's happening and it seems it feels so big to tackle right Mm. yeah I think that like you know one of the really common things is like these protest behaviors what you're describing it's like we don't know we don't like think of it necessarily in those terms but we're essentially like testing them we're like I'm so convinced you're gonna leave me so I'm gonna like test you by Mm. being really like immature or childish or explosive (laughs) or like, you know, dramatic. And I'm trying, I'm just trying to elicit reassurance from you. So this like, that's it. I'm done. I'm leaving. And it's like, I don't actually have any intention of leaving. (laughs) I just want you to tell me to stay. Right. I want you to apologize and tell me you understand and tell me you love me and give me that reassurance. Um, you know, like all of these behaviors and it's, it can be really hard, right? Because we can feel so out of control in that state, but it's like, you know, this part of us is taking over that is just so afraid and is just resorting to like whatever strategy we can find um, in this increasingly panicked state to try and get back to safety. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, like having a, a patient and secure partner helps a lot, right? Um, the the unfortunate reality is that a lot of anxious people end up in relationships with avoidant people um, and that is just like can be so turbulent because it escalates right the avoidant person responds to those explosions with withdrawal and shutdown and defensiveness um, which then just bounces back and triggers the anxious person so much more and really amplifies intensifies their efforts to reach that person Um, And you can imagine how that plays out, right? It's just both people are so afraid um, and are just like using these opposing strategies um, and it it can be really turbulent. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to dive into some some helpful things like we've already shared so much helpful wisdom, Mm -hmm. but let's talk about what you can do when you're experiencing so much anxiety and it's filling you with so much doubt about your relationship and just everything. Like what can you do to, to begin to work through some of that? Yeah. So I think like my, my approach to this is we really need to combine some of the more like cognitive, like belief reprogramming stuff with a more like somatic body-based nervous system regulation piece, right? And it's like the the combination of those two pieces is critical, right? Because if we're just at the level of like, oh, yeah, okay, like what are my beliefs here? What are my, you know, core wounds? Like, 
oh, that I'm unworthy, that I'm unlovable. Like, how can I start to work through some of those things? You know, that's a really important piece, but it doesn't count for anything once you're triggered, right? And I think this is where, you know, I work with so many people who have like spent years in therapy and sort of traditional talk therapy. Um, And it's not to disparage talk therapy at all, but it's like, if you don't have the ability to um, downregulate your nervous system when you're triggered, which um, some, you know, some talk therapies, that's just not within scope to sort of teach people how to do that. Um, doesn't count for anything, right? <laughs> all of that, yeah. like all the books you've read and all the courses <laughs> you've done and all the like talk therapy you've done, when you are triggered, like that part of your brain really goes offline and, and your survival systems take over and your yeah. partner is just like, this threatening person and everything in your body is just like telling you to respond to the threat in this very like basic way. <laughs> um, so we really have to combine those things um, and and be able to, you know, like notice ourselves when we're getting triggered and start, start with the body, right? Um, there's no point trying to like, you know, rationalize your way out of an intense trigger because you know, I'm sure everyone listening's experienced this. Like it's visceral, it's body-based. It's like my heart's thumping and my stomach's churning and my face is going flushed or maybe I'm numbing out and dissociating. All of these things are like very much body-based nervous system responses um, and you do not have access to like the, the cortical parts of your brain, the parts of your brain that are, are rational and reasonable and <laughs> empathetic. All of that is just it is offline. Um, and so just really taking responsibility for like, okay, when I notice that happening to me, I need to like drop everything and create safety in my body. That has to be my number one priority. There is no point in me trying to like continue a conversation or like do what I was doing or just like push through. I have got to create safety in my body as a first, like first port of call when I'm like that. So that might look like, um, you know, just stopping what you're doing. It might look like, you know, taking deep breaths for a few minutes. It might look like going for a walk or a run, like physical activity is really good when we're in that activated state to discharge some of that, like that mobilization energy when we're in that sympathetic nervous system. Um, It might even look like, you know, listening to music or like, you know, hugging a pillow and lying in the fetal position, whatever it is, it's like, I need to recognize that I need to stop and downregulate before I do anything else because any like actions I take decisions I make in this state are not going to be good right they're not coming from a place where I have access to all of my faculties Um, and so really owning that that is just like such a fundamental pillar of this right yeah when you are regulated like the longer term stuff is around looking at like belief reprogramming, meaning making, storytelling, right? Um, And that's something that we can only do from a regulated state very effectively, right? So it's like, okay, like my partner didn't respond to my text message or like, you know, I said, love you. And they responded to the other part of the message and didn't say, I love you back. And now I'm feeling like I'm upset by that. It's like, okay, what am I making this mean? Like, what story am I telling myself about that? Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily true? Like, do I have any evidence to the contrary, right? Like, and going through that more like reasoned process that can like 
you know, engage those parts of our brain and bring some of that back online. Um, you know, what, what evidence do I have that my partner does love me, even though they didn't say that back in a text message, right? Um, and sort of taking ourselves through that process. It's like, okay, I can maybe calm my system down a little bit here. Um, and then really getting to this place of like, what do I need, right? Like, what do I need in this moment? What can I give to myself? Um, what reassurance might I need from my partner or, or other need might I have that my partner can help with? Um, but really like when you're getting to that, what do I need after going through this process of downregulating of like reasoning with yourself, understanding the meaning that you're attributing to something, understanding the stories that you're telling yourself and sort of fact checking that a bit. By the time you get to that like final step of like, okay, is there something I still need to ask for from my partner? That's going to be such a more like balanced, grounded, calm request than if we'd ask them when we're triggered at step one, right? So it's like, okay, um, maybe I can say to them like, I don't know, maybe I'm just going to call them and say, love you. And, and I'll hear their voice and I'll know that there's nothing wrong. But if I'm doing that there, when I'm sort of calmed down versus doing it in a panic state and being like, you know, what's wrong? Is there something wrong? You didn't reply to my message. That's going to elicit a very different response from them. Right. And then that's going to probably escalate us further because they're going to respond in a similarly charged way. Um, so it is really that combination of approaches, right? Like how can I downregulate first and then go through some of that, like, you know, checking, checking myself on the meaning that I'm making and, and is that necessarily true? Oh, so good. So good. So much of it truly. I'm, I'm so glad that you talk about, you know, listening to the stories that you're telling yourself and really asking yourself, you know, what the truth is to the stories. And that's so much of when you're struggling with an anxiety disorder or um, anxious attachment, you're often telling yourself stories that are very far from the reality, but you get so caught up in them. And oftentimes, like, all of the things that you're sharing, you know, they're, they're patterns, they're things that we're so used to doing, you know, mm. whether it be things that used to work, right? When you were a child, you had certain strategies that you used and at the time mm. they worked, but when you get into adulthood, they don't work so much, especially in relationships. Um, yeah. And you start to learn. And, and I think a big piece of this is recognizing your patterns, start to seeing how you respond to things, like listening to the stories that you're telling yourself. And I know that this is so much of the work that you do. And so I'm curious what you would tell people, you know, if, if somebody is currently struggling with anxious attachment and they've listened to this episode and they're like, also like me, like, like nodding the head at everything and like, oh my gosh, mm. yes, yes, this is me. Mm. How can you begin to break old patterns and start to transform your relationship into the relationship you know you want it to be and you know you're probably capable of, but it feels so hard to get there right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for anyone who's listening, who is in that boat, I just want to sort of, you know, send you so much love and also a bit of like encouragement and reassurance that um, it it really is possible to experience relationships in another way. 
you know, all of these, as you're saying, Shannon, like all of these are learned strategies. And that means that like, you know, it's part of the the incredible, you know, being human is we can learn so much and we can we can unlearn and relearn. Um, these things are not fixed parts of us. So, I mean, in terms of what you can do, honestly, like working, like seeking the support of someone can be really helpful. So whether that's a coach or a therapist, um, but I think that anxious attachment can be quite a lonely experience because we do internalize so much. Um, and honestly, like a lot of the people I work with are just so relieved to like put some of that stuff outside of their own head and have it mirrored back to them that they're not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, I mean, hopefully you can uh, get some of that effect just from listening to this. Um, but I think having like being held by someone and learning that like sort of safe co-regulation and, you know, the other thing with anxious attachment is you're not very good at, at seeking support because we sort of tend to ourselves last and try to sort of just, you know, suppress a lot of that and, and say we're fine. Um, I think that that can be really, really helpful. But yeah, in terms of like day-to-day stuff, I think the tools that I was just referring to so being really mindful of what's going on in your body and really attuning to your own body and nervous system that's powerful Um, and then like if you're wanting to go deeper like I think yeah seeking the support of of a professional um, you know I've also got a court like a six-week course on this which can be really helpful to like step through each of these things Um, but yeah it is it is a process it's not something that unfortunately that we can like flip a switch and and turn off overnight it's it's a lifetime's worth of of learning those strategies I love what you were saying Shannon a moment ago that like they're outdated strategies because that's how I always describe it to people and they're like what's wrong with me why am I like this I'm like nothing's wrong with you you're you're operating on like strategies that that used to work and and that made a lot of sense at one point in your life that allowed you to get your needs met it's just that they're outdated. They're not working anymore. So we're going to learn some new ones. Yeah. Um, so. I love that. I think that's so important because you often look at your behaviors and you see them as being bad or you see mm-hmm. yourself as being broken or something mm-hmm. being wrong with you. And it's like, nope, nope, none of that is true. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just, these things did serve a purpose and they helped you at a time. Mm-hmm. And now there are behaviors that you can unlearn and you can move forward and you can live and have a very thriving, loving, amazing relationship. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely an example of that today. And, you know, our, my husband and I have been married for six, going on six years. And, you know, you, you go through things in any relationship, but anxious attachment is definitely something that you can come out the other side of. And I just have to say the work that you do is utterly amazing. Like I look at your Instagram and I'm just like the, the amount of knowledge and the wealth and knowledge that you share is incredible. And it doesn't compare to what a lot of people share on social media. So I really, really encourage you if you have, you know, relationship anxiety or issues with anxious attachment, definitely check out Stephanie. Um, I, I sound a little fangirl right now, but (laughs) your reels, your, it's, it's just like, you can tell you've lived the experience and you have so much knowledge and it's, I'm sure you often hear, and I think you said, you know, people will often reach out to me and say, 
Shannon, it's like you're in my head. It's like, how do you know? And and it's like, I've, I've been through it. I live my it. head too. <laughs> yeah. And like, you can tell that and that resonates and it's so genuine. Yeah. And like, you're, you're just very helpful and very incredible at what you do. So if people want to find and connect with you further, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm most active on Instagram and my handle is uh, Stephanie underscore underscore. So two underscores, rig, R-I-G-G. Um, and my website is stephanierig.com. Amazing. We will definitely link to everything in the show notes. And thank you so much, Stephanie, for all the work you do and for coming on today. And before I end this episode, I want to mention that I'd really appreciate it if you shared this episode or any others with somebody who you feel could benefit from what I share here. You sharing these episodes is what helps me to reach and support others who need it. And if you have an extra minute in your day today, I'd also really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. I read every single review and this too is what helps me to help more people to heal and overcome. All right, until next time, friend, keep taking healthy action. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Healthy Push. If you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com for the show notes and lots more tips, tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join my Instagram community at A Healthy Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next.